Greetings and welcome to the Uncensored Humanity Podcast. If you're new to the show, this is a long-form podcast where I sit down with guests and we just have a conversation. Now, these conversations are not scripted. They are raw and real. There's no editing. So wherever they go, they go. So hopefully you guys will enjoy the conversations as much as I know that I will. Today's episode is brought to you by nobody. Because let's be honest, nobody likes to hear ads. We all just put up with it because we think we have to. Well, you know what? I decided let's not do that for the time being and see how we get along. So let's get into what we all came here for, the actual episode. All right, folks, today we have a special treat for you. We have one of my teammates here with us, Mr. Preston Russ. And I was able to get Preston to come on the show as he wanted to talk about some specific things that we will, that obviously you're, you guys are going to get into a little bit, but he wanted to talk about raising daughters. It's something that obviously he and I have bonded over since I have a daughter and he has daughters. So we wanted to kind of talk about that. And obviously it was his first time on the show, so we had to get to know him a little bit. So you get to hear his story a little bit as well. It was definitely a great conversation. These are the conversations that I've been missing. Honestly, I've been in a bit of a funk recently and all the news that you see is about the pandemic and issues and drama and this and that. And I'm just... I'm so over it. So it was so great to sit down and talk about some stuff that didn't have anything to do with all that and get back into what the show is kind of really all about, which is talking with people, getting to know what they're thinking and just having a great conversation and hopefully make it useful for other people as well. But obviously these are these are deep things that we had to kind of talk about today. It's 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 not the easiest to talk about your family and everything else and your own issues and problems and, and whatnot, but Preston did a great job. I was very proud of him. He did a great job on the show. He's definitely excellent for his first time on any kind of podcast, and we will definitely have Preston back again. But I am going to stop rambling and let you guys get in the episode. So please sit back, strap in, and enjoy our conversation. Greetings and welcome back to another episode of the Uncensored Humanity Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Hess, and today we have back, well, not back with us, with us for a first time, my teammate, Mr. Preston Russ. How's it going, guys? Doing well, doing well. So thank you for coming on the podcast. We kind of talked about this a while ago, and you were a little hesitant, and then we spoke recently, and you're like, hey, can I come on the show? I'm like, hell yeah, let's do this thing. Yeah. So we were talking like, okay, when can we make this happen? And and here we are. So Preston is a teammate of mine at True Art Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, obviously, I met you there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wouldn't say we've become like super fast friends, but I would say we definitely click better than a lot of the guys at the gym. We're definitely closer than I am with most people there I'm kind of acquaintances with because I see them every once in a while, whereas with you, I feel like we kind of had a little bit more of a connection. Yeah, absolutely. It yeah. is what it is. Like, it's... I've honestly, I've, I've had very close friends of mine that I've met recently that it's like, I feel like we've been friends for decades. Right. And I told them that I'm like, I've known you for less than a year, but I feel like I've known you from a whole life. It's weird. I just told them like, we're becoming fast friends. This is cool. So it's, it's kind of nice to when you, when you have those moments, I, I tend to gravitate those towards those and just hold on to them because my mortality has been hitting me a lot recently. Yep. So it's like, you know what? I just I need to hold on to people and just enjoy my time and have a good time and not worry about life. Absolutely. Well, there's two parts to that. You know, we're rolling around in a very intimate setting. And, just uh, a touch. You, yes. know, you know, a little aggressive cuddling there and <laughs> that happens. Uh, but at the same time, like part of the reason to come on today is you and I have a shared experience with raising daughters. 
And that, you know, I found as I get older in life that I connect more with folks who are going through that same thing because it's a oh, the, the shared experience. experience. Yes, yeah. Yes. Uh, and, you know, connecting with the mortality piece, I'm actually getting a tattoo from uh, Neptune here uh, this week. Which is another guy at the gym. Yep. So uh, he's going to do the Memento Mori tattoo on my uh, upper arm. So Does he tattoo? He just recently got into it. Interesting. Yeah. You're a brave soul for yes. trusting someone with something that important. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, but for a long time, I've, I've subscribed to that stoic philosophy that you have to appreciate the life you have and you only have one life to live. So. I've, I've heard of it, but I don't know too much about it. Can you break that down a little bit? Yeah. So uh, in stoic philosophy, uh, and it, it bridges the gap on a lot of different philosophies, but it comes up a lot in stoicism where... Um, the story is that a Roman general, after uh, wins a battle or uh, you know comes back from a campaign, he would have a uh, slave or servant ride behind him on his chariot, saying "Memento Mori," meaning "Remember, all must die." So you too, even on your greatest day, remember you are mortal. And you, your life will eventually end. Okay. And so you have to treasure every moment and you have to live in the present. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. I, I've never heard it explained. Obviously, like I've heard of it, but I didn't know the exact meaning of it. So it's interesting to hear the explanation of what that truly means. Yeah. It, and then that's stoic, stoicism is something I've been getting into recently uh, just to try to like refocus my energies and those kind of things, which, which is fun. So it's, it's been interesting to kind of read through those, some of those things. Well, and I, I love it. From since that I'm a very emotional person, uh, my emotions often drive me. They don't. I don't drive them. And so stoicism. But has, I think a lot of us are that way. And whereas right. a lot of a lot of men don't want to own up to that because they see that as being weak. And they're like, no, I'm. I only go by facts and figures and this and that. I'm like, no, like we're we're human. We're yes. emotional beings. Yes. This this is how we like it. It rules our lives, which is why like in our early twenties or like early, like late teens, like when we get into girls, if we get into those, if you get into guys, I don't care yeah, yeah. whatever you're into. It's like, it almost controls your life because it's like your emotions. Like I feel good around this person. This is amazing. I want to spend all the time I can with them. It's, it's, you know, it's like, you don't sit back and think of, like, oh, yeah, I, I really enjoy spending time with them. I like, like, no, you're chasing that feeling. Your emotions mm -hmm. are, are leading the charge. Yes. And that's, that's what I found early on is that I get attached to the idea of a relationship because it makes me feel good. Vice, this person is a good fit for me because of how I feel and how they interact. And that is more important than, the oh, I feel good. Yeah, I think, I think the kids, that and I, when I say kids, I mean... Anybody younger than us? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, I, I feel like they could learn a lot from that because I think that most people just, they don't like feeling alone. So they're forever chasing the relationship. Whereas I really believe that you need to spend some time alone with your own thoughts and, yes. and figure out who you are and what you want and then try to find someone who benefits your life and not just find someone who takes away the loneliness. Yeah. It, it, well, it's really selfish to make somebody else responsible for your happiness. Oh, there we go. That's a great line right there. So, you know, you first and foremost are responsible for your happiness, not somebody else. And so you have to be able to sit with yourself and be okay with yourself before you're prepared for a relationship. And that takes a long time. And to be honest, you know, I've been in a relationship. Uh, my wife and I just celebrated our 10-year anniversary. Congratulations, by Thank the way. You. That, that's Thank amazing. You. And her and I have had to learn that while being in a relationship. That hasn't been something that we both came into it 
okay. Yeah, with. it's not like you guys came into it later in life where you you're through your thirties and forties and have been through a bunch of bad relationships. Like you know what, I'm going to take some time on me. I'm going to figure it all out. Whereas you guys have had to do it while in a relationship together, which is much more difficult. Yeah, definitely OJT <laughs> on the job training. So. I'll tell you what, we're already getting off into the weeds, kind of what we want to get into, which which is great. I, I love it. But let's 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 cycle back here and let's uh explain to the audience a little bit about who you are and um yeah, just who you are. Yeah, so um I am a redneck nobody that grew up in uh southeast Ohio. So I was raised in Cambridge, Ohio, uh out in the middle of nowhere where the best thing to do on a Friday night was go to Walmart. Hence redneck. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or hillbilly. I guess you, you know, being in the Appalachias, you're considered a hillbilly. You're in Ohio. This isn't Pennsylvania. You know, you know, we try to figure it out. But uh, (laughs) no, I grew up there. Um, You know, I grew up in a middle class home. Both my parents are together. Uh, My dad was a minister or has been a minister, you know, his entire career. Uh, My wife or my mom has been in healthcare administration her entire career. Um, so we weren't well off, but we weren't, you know, ever needed. Yeah, we weren't. You had all needing. the things you you needed, but maybe not some of the things you wanted. Yeah. right. And and now that I'm later in life, I can see the areas in which my parents privileged me. Um, for instance, I played hockey growing up, which is a very expensive sport to play. It is a very expensive sport. You know, you're talking two thousand dollars a season just for ice time. Not to mention equipment and travel and, you know, we grew up in Southeast Ohio. There's no ice rinks around. So I was playing hockey out of Newark, Ohio, you know, growing up. So it was, you know, my dad would drive me to practice. It's an hour drive to practice, you know, three or four nights a week and then games. So uh, looking back on it, I can appreciate the things that they did and the sacrifices they made to allow me and my sister to have a comfortable life which is interesting because obviously when, when you're going through that you don't notice it no. you, you just think like oh i i want this and my friends have that and what's going on and you think you're you're so deprived and everything else and yeah. then as you get out in the real world and you realize like how things really are like oh shit like i had it really good and they really sacrificed for me and this is awesome you know obviously not all people have that yeah you know experience because some people really are just dirt poor and there's nothing they can do and they barely had enough food on the table i understand that yeah. but for the most part you know, there's a reason why there's averages. Like most people are in the middle. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> so it's it's interesting that it takes it takes that time, but really it takes your own experience to realize. Yes. You know, okay, they they really did good things for me. This is awesome. Yeah. So when I was headed off to college, so I went to Ohio State for undergrad. Um, to for, study what? To study. I so I was in AP classes when I was in high school. Um, I had a passion for what I thought was chemistry at the time. It was really more critical thinking. Okay. Uh, but I didn't realize it at the time because I, I had an excellent teacher for chemistry. I loved it. Um, scored really well. Went to Ohio State. As Maybe a, it was somebody who just poured like love and energy into you. So you're like, hey, I, I like this class. So I'm going to try really hard for this class. So I'm good at this. Maybe I should go to school for that. Something like that. Um, not necessarily. She, she uh, Miss Van Dyne, um, she had a passion for teaching students how to think. Which is what we're missing in today's education. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you're growing up in, in, in you know, Southeast Ohio, so you don't often get that. And so when you get that, you're like, this teacher wants to show me a way to build a better life forward. Um, and so that was really helpful. But I excelled at chemistry as well. And I like the problem solving aspect of it. And so I went to Ohio State as a pre-farm major. Um, now growing up a minister's kid, 
I had a very vanilla uh, pre-18 life. You weren't super rebellious in your your late teens? What the heck? I I was not super rebellious, you know. Damn it, Preston. You missed out on like a golden opportunity. Haven't you seen Footloose? The biggest biggest (laughs) things I got in trouble for were trying to sneak my girlfriend to a hockey game. Um, (laughs) You know, it's, it's little things like that. And so, you know, I had not been exposed to a lot of the world in general um growing that's up. typically a problem that i see with people with very religious parents i had yeah. this i had the same kind of upbringing where my my parents were super religious and at about 10 i was like this isn't for me and at that point i was old enough that they would let me stay home from church they weren't forcing me to go mm-hmm. they would try to guilt me into it from time to time and i would go here and there but it just it wasn't for me it was never my thing and so i just kind of went away but like to say that it's like in my household you had to listen to country or gospel music everything else was from the devil or whatever and yeah. it's like what do you mean like it's just art it's just music i mean yeah there's words and some of it's horrible like listen to rap nowadays and it's all about like just having sex and selling drugs and doing whatever and it's like really like i i I don't get that that that, that's just me but it's like but still it's when you hear good music like it's just music it's just it's just art like i I see it as that and it's beautiful so i don't understand that so it's i rebelled from them like as soon as i could i was like screw this yeah you know so i I still to this day hate country because i was forced to listen to it as a kid i was like screw this well, and I, you know, I was fortunate enough or, or blessed enough that, you know, my dad was very understanding, or still is very understanding. He's always been uh, a man who is comfortable with agreeing to disagree. And so where I may disagree with him on certain political aspects or certain religious aspects, he's okay having a conversation about that, explaining his viewpoint, letting me explain mine. Yeah, as any adult should be. Right. And his, you know, I was really blessed with him not forcing his views on me, but helping me think through where I'm at and what I believe as an individual. Nice. So... That was helpful. And, you know, to the music aspect, you know, my mom was bumping Journey out every time we were going to a hockey game. So, you know, yeah, you know, it's it's a great time. You know, you listen to the sticks in the car and it's 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 great. It's good music. I mean, again, it's if you take it for face value, it's like, again, it's just art. If you want to get into like, oh, it's the if you play it backwards, it's demonic, this and that rock and roll and blah, blah, blah. Like, come on. Yeah. Like, are are there some dirtbags in there? Sure. Do some people go to concerts, get high and drunk and whatever? Yeah, so what? Like, what, what's the big deal here? Like, that's their choice. They're allowed to do that. I don't understand trying to pull that back from people saying, oh, it's too dangerous. You can't, you know, you can't do that. It could be horrible. Like, how about we could think for ourselves and yep. realize that, hey, I enjoy this music, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to go out there and waste my life and become some crazy drug addict either. Like, yeah. what are we doing here? Well, you know, I think about it and it's like, you know, when I was in pre-gaming in the uh, locker room before a hockey game, I wasn't listening to Garth Brooks on my mixtape. No, you know, it doesn't but, get you pumped up. But before, you know, before the iPhone days, I had, you know, a night, nice 80s rock playlist. Do you get. mean there was something before the iPhone? <laughs> what is this? You know, when you had to burn CDs and you had that Walkman. and I remember doing that in high school. Well, and then somebody would be getting dressed next to you and they'd bump it and you're like, "You are you kidding? You made me skip my song. Like, what's up with this? And I got to reset it and like, ah. Oh, yeah, I can literally remember sitting in computer class with my football coach, burning CDs for him, yep. and then I would burn one for myself, like downloading music off of wherever yep. that was completely <laughs> illegal. The wonderful days of Napster. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, the kids these days will never know. Back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, it was great times. But um, So no. anyway, so you went off to college and you weren't super crazy before. So did college kind of treat you bad? Yeah. Um, so one thing I didn't understand when my dad uh, or what my dad said but when I went to college was you don't understand that you need to buy socks until you have to buy socks. And I didn't really get that. Now, obviously, I know what he's talking about, but what did that mean to you? At the time, nothing. Um, now it means, hey, you are on your own and you are responsible for the good and bad consequences of your choices. There might be a better way to say that. <laughs> right, right. Um, and, you know, that, that was, that's my dad's style. And that's okay. Um, so I went to Ohio State as an undergrad, 18 years old. Um, definitely a knucklehead at this time. Of course. And, you know, I'm at Ohio State, big Ohio State fan. And so it's going to games on the weekend and I'm 18. So I mean, in Ohio State, that is kind of the thing to do. I mean, the football team is kind of like royalty there. Well, and, and, and that's the thing. I was 18. I was finding place to get booze and, you know, my first exposure to alcohol and it was a good time. Um, the problem was I was a pre-farm major, so I'm taking calc my freshman year and, um, you know, I'm indulging in, uh, uh, alcohol, you know, Tuesday through Saturday night. Oh, Jesus. Um, uh, and, 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 you know, I, but I didn't know any better. Um, I hadn't had those experiences to say, this is not the way to do things. This is not the way to move through life. But that's the problem when you try to shelter kids from those experiences. Like I've tried to be very honest with my daughter as she's now going off to college. She's a freshman in college. And I told her, it's like, hey, you're going to be around drinking and drugs and those kind. They're going to be around you. You yeah. may not be in the exact circles of where that's all happening, but it's going to be very close proximity to where you are. So you need to understand those things and realize there's times to have fun, which is okay. There's times to explore things, which I understand, but you've got to focus on school and realize and hope Hopefully, you don't get put on academic probation from just partying too much because you need to have some experiences with that. Because like when I went to college, I had my daughter at that point. So yeah. I left for college when she was six months old, two months old, some, somewhere like only a few months old. Like she had yeah. just been born and I was leaving for college. So it's like I had a completely different experience because like I had to hustle. Like yep. I, I had like three jobs, you know, I was coming home every weekend, like all those kind of things. So it was like. Uh, it wasn't time to play. Yeah, it was time. It was time to hustle. For me, it was absolutely you know, time to play. Which I understand that. <laughs> and, and and here was part the of his challenge. <laughs> well, it, well, here was a sobering thought: was I was going into our calc final in my first quarter at Ohio State with a forty-eight average. Sobered up, studied, did well on the final, got out of there with a C minus. Nice. Real, C's get degrees, yeah, people. Yes, C's get degrees. And <laughs> at that point, I'm like, ah, yeah, maybe this chemistry pre-farm thing is not for me. Um, I had a really good political science class in my introductory classes at Ohio State. And I was like, this is really cool. I like thinking about Yes, because again, it's the critical thinking yes. part of it. You know, how, how do states interact? How do, uh, you know, different world leaders interact? You know, what is shaping policy? So I, I switched over um, and became a poli-sci major. Uh, minor in economics. One of the other pivotal events that happened uh, in my undergrad year was after an Ohio State game, um, I was walking back to my dorm and I decided that uh, 
um, I had to relieve myself. And, well, I wanted pizza on the way home, so I went to the back of the pizza shop, and I was taking a leak back in the alley, and all of a sudden, there's a spotlight. Um, and the, you know, the officers roll up, and they say, you know, you know, have you been drinking? I was like, yes, I have. Uh, I was honest with them and everything. They took me in, booked me and everything. Um, and I'm 18 years old. I'm booked for, you know, public urination and, and underage intoxication. Well. And, and I understand that the police officers are just doing their job. It's a college town. The kids get rowdy. They got to make sure they're they're being right. They're taking care of the kids and make sure nobody's getting hurt and those kind yeah. of things. Things don't get too rambunctious because let's be honest, Ohio State students aren't exactly known for being super polite, right? Right. Because when the football team wins, they go burn couches in the street. When the football team loses, they go burn couches in the street. Like they're kind of rowdy and rambunctious, yes. right? They they don't have the greatest reputation, which I yes. understand. They get excited, they're all drunk. It is what it is. Kids are going to be kids. Like yes. let, let's be honest. But what happened to the days where the cops would be like, "All right, dude, like you can't do that here. Calm down, relax, go home. Don't be an idiot." What happened to those kind of days? Here's I mean, here's the funny thing. So I, my case gets adjudicated, or adjudicated, and uh, what does that mean? So we go to court. Okay. Um, I'm a college student on loans, on you know, oh, yeah. all that good stuff. And so I get a public defendant and the public defendant's like, hey, I talked to the judge. You plead guilty to the underage uh, intoxication. They'll drop the public urination. This is your best case. Because that's like a sex offender thing, right? Yeah. So that's a huge yeah, thing. Yeah. So um, they, I, I pled guilty to the underage intoxication uh, and... That was that. That was my, uh, my one of my low points. At that point, you know, I'm on student loans. So the, the judge kind of cut you a break. Judge cut me a break. One of the other things that I learned was, uh, and this may have changed, but in Columbus at the time, if you had an alcohol-related fen- offense as a minor, you would get um, you would get assigned a alcohol rehabilitation like counselor or yeah. something. Yeah. Uh, except on game days. <laughs> and this happened to be a game day so um i paid my fine and everything and and uh you know that all all worked out but at that point my parents really felt that it was time for me to learn the consequences of my actions and i was on my own entirely from from that point out uh how so financially okay so that they just said no more money from us you fucked up you got to learn from this yep. so it's all on you now you figure it out okay and so I go into my tough so- love. Yeah, I get, tough, it. I tough get love. it. You know, I, I I go home. I work work at home over the summer, and I come back to Ohio State and spend sophomore year. Um, and I'm trying to make ends meet. And so you know, I'm running down to two or three uh, blood banks per week. Yep. Uh, you know, at fifty to seventy five dollars a pop, and you know, I realize this is my low point in life when I'm selling plasma to try to make beer and, and rent money. And I'm like, I need to figure this out. So uh, I went down. There's a uh, fried chicken place. It used to be uh, on 14th and High Street called Raising Cane's Chicken Fingers. Uh, great place. Highly recommend. There's only like four things on the menu. Uh, chicken... <laughs> well, it's one of those places where they do one thing and they do it well. They do it really well. And it's like, if you want it, that's what you go there for. Yeah. Right? And so I got a, I got a job there as a fry cook. Um, and that's what I did through college. When I wasn't studying, when I wasn't in class... Um, I was 
cooking chicken fingers, which was great because they're, they were open until 3 a.m. on the weekends. Which keep you out of trouble. Kept me out of trouble. Yep. So on the weekends, you know, guess what? I'm doing late nights and I'm working until 5 a.m. and I'm frying chicken. And then when I'm not doing that, I'm studying. Uh, and so th- that really helped. Uh, that started to help me figure out the world. And then so happened sophomore year, I'm walking through the Ohio State Fair and I'm walking by a booth. Uh, and there's a Marine booth there. Um, I had tried to talk to an Army recruiter because I'm trying to figure out, you know, what do I want to do after college? Is it law school? Is it something else? And I walk up to this re- uh, this recruiter booth after uh, uh, Army recruiter stood me up. And uh, the uh, Marine there at the time said, you want to do the hardest thing you've ever done? I was like, fuck yeah, I do. <laughs> um, and, you know, from there, it was like, okay, uh between sophomore and junior year, I spent my summer at Officer Candidate School in Quantico, Virginia, uh, running around there for six weeks, getting yelled at, telling telling me how to tie my left boot, my right boot, uh, how to put my clothes on, and then just running all day and, and doing all that kind of stuff. Um, and that was a great experience. That first summer at OCS, I said, wow, what an incredible experience it is to have the opportunity to lead Marines. And so I want to do this. Now, what led you down that road? I mean, I can't imagine that you were just randomly walking down the fair with a bucket of, you know, fried chicken in one hand and like a corn dog in the other or whatever it is, the kind of fair food that you like, you know, and then you see the booth like, oh, hey, what's this? Let's go check it out. Like, was there was there family members that you had that served? Did you always kind of want to or? Yeah, I, I think part of it stems, uh, my great-grandfather served in World War II. Okay. Uh, he was shot in Kazarine Pass in North Africa and then spent from 1940 late 42 or early 43 till 1944 in a German POW camp. Okay. Um, and you know, I, I had learned from those, some of those experiences, some other family members had been in the military. Nobody had been in the Marines yet. Uh, but I'm a, you know, 19 year old young boy who, uh, you know, has dreams of being a GI Joe one day. Fair enough. Um, and so, you know, this is really cool opportunity to be part of the, I would say the most badass fighting force in the world. Um, and so the Marines, there it is. So went out and I was like, yeah, there's way more to this than I thought. <laughs> Usually I how that works. It. Yeah. And I love every bit of it. So but it's cool that they sent you to, to OCS and to see how that kind of worked out for you. And you, you were there and you liked it, like thinking, Hey, I could, I could really do this. I enjoy this. Yeah. It, it's a really interesting experience, especially. So I went through, um, what's called platoon leaders course. Uh, essentially those that aren't going to the Naval Academy or aren't in ROTC do have a couple different commissioning op- options if they want to pursue this route. And so I went to the juniors and seniors course, breaks it up into two six week courses. Um, and there's a 50% attrition rate, or at least when I was going through for that juniors course, because there's a bunch of knuckleheads like me that are like, you know, this, this is really badass. I want to try this out. And they come to find out this is not my cup of tea. Yeah. This um, is actually really difficult. Yeah. And you couldn't, what is called DNR drop on request until week four. And so you'd have guys there in week one that are like, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, and they'd have to sit there and write it out for the next three weeks until they were able to go home. Uh, but I was there and it, it's like, you, you play the games, you get through it. You realize, Hey, this is, this is not the entirety of the Marine Corps. This is just, my right of passage to get yeah. to the Marine Corps. It's, it's all mind games. Yeah. And if, like you said, if you play the game, you'll you'll be just fine. Yep, yep. 
I, I'm going to put my shirt on when they tell me to put my shirt on. I'm going to put my boots on when they tell me to put my boots on. Yep. Um, and so it was great. Um, I had a lot of friends, made a lot of friends through that, that process, uh, friends that are still really close today. Uh, but what was uh, cool in some aspects, mind-fucking in the other, um, was I had to go back. So you spend six weeks of just getting hazed, and then you get a summer back in under, or you get a full year back in undergrad, and next summer you're going back to OCS, and you know that whole process is going to happen all over again. Okay. Well, I got really lucky. Uh, a couple of us that were going through uh, platoon leaders course met up with the folks at Ohio State um, ROTC, and they offered to bring us in and get us prepped physically for the next summer. And so we spent, you know, all of spring semester running around, you know, Ohio State, running the old and tangy, um, doing all those kind of things, just getting physically and mentally prepared. And then we show up at OCS and there's there's 10 of us in, at OCS that summer from Ohio State, not in the ROTC program. And we walk in and the staff sergeant in charge of our platoon is the assistant marine instructor at Ohio State. Okay. And I and I cannot speak highly enough of this man, uh, uh, Staff Sergeant Hedrick at the time, Gunning Hedrick, um, and I believe uh, he's uh, either a Master Guns or a Sergeant Major now, but one of the most badass men I've ever met in my entire <laughs> life. Um, just absolutely scary individual, but uh, amazing individual. Um, and turns out he's our platoon platoon leader for that rotation um and so it was really cool you know we're going through inspections uh where they have to inspect you know is your gear prepped right is your bunk squared away like did you tuck in the corners the right way uh and all of us from ohio state are getting passes and he comes up to this kid from michigan um <laughs> and he, he checks off two and if uh if you get three you fail that inspection you have to have a remedial inspection um, and he couldn't find a third. So he goes, well, you're from Michigan. So I'm going to check off the third. And so he had a, so it was fun. Um, so <laughs> I'm not saying we got some favoritism there, but it, it, it was an enjoyable summer. Um, we really got into the crux of what it meant to lead Marines and what they, what we could expect going forward. If we were to commission, uh, you didn't get that in the first summer, the first summer straight, you know, let's weed out the ones that don't exactly. want to be here. Let's, let's do all the things that we have known yep. to, to weed out the bad apples. So that way only the ones who really want to be here yep. are going to stick through the bullshit that we're yep. going to put them through. Cause that's what it is. Right. Right. It's bullshit, but yep. it's meant to weed out the people who are like, you know what? I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was fun. Um, did that between junior and senior year and then uh senior year commissioned as a second Lieutenant in the Marine Corps. Um, so, during that time, I had met uh, this lady who is now my wife, Ashley. Uh, she went to, or she went to University of Memphis. She was a D1 soccer player, all American there. Uh, and she had a friend who was from Columbus, and she was up visiting her. Um, this is back in sophomore year, and uh, we hit it off. And just instant chemistry. Uh, I would say good chemistry to start. Okay. It wasn't like, oh, love at first sight, okay. but it was definitely, hey. There's something here. There's something here. Um, and, you know, we met briefly and we kept talking. And uh, sophomore years, so this would have been um, 2008 going into 2009, uh, New Year's. I said, hey, why don't you come up for an extended stay? Come up, celebrate New Year's. Um, it'll be a good time. 
she's like, ah, I don't know. This is eight hours away. Like, I like you, but, you know, this is not That's, that's a big commitment, yeah. Um, and so after some hemming and hauling, uh, she said, okay, I'm going to flip a coin. <laughs> if it comes up heads, I'll come up. If it If it doesn't, you know, and this is before the time of FaceTime. It's not like I can, you know, proof whether or not. Yeah, she verify did it. it's not a two headed coin. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, according to her, she flipped it three times, came up head all three times. So she came up. She came up. We celebrated New Year's. Great time. Uh, and she ends up getting snowed in at Ohio State. So, big snowstorm came through. She can't go back down to Memphis because she can't drive through it. So, we get to spend some extra time together. Um, and that's where we really hit it off. Um, we dated during that time. Uh, she knew that I was going through the Marine Corps process and everything. And, uh, that's what I wanted to do after college. And so, you know, she kind of had an idea, um, but she was doing her soccer thing. I was, you know, working and, you know, prepping for the Marines and studying during that time. So, uh, it wasn't too difficult to do that long distance relationship. With as much as on both of your plates, obviously, a college athlete. I mean, that's their profession. Not yeah. to mention they still yes. have the schooling yes. and everything else they've got to get through. Yes. And with you, like prepping for the military, working on the side, doing all your classwork, like doing all those other things, like how in the world did you guys make that long distance relationship work? Well, that's kind of the nice piece is, you know, when you're busy with all that, you don't have the time to be out dating. So it wasn't like, oh, hey, I'm going out on the weekends and I'm meeting you know, 10 girls on the weekend. Yeah, that I have to say, no, I can't talk to you because I'm dating this gal down in Memphis. Yeah, and and I was serious about what I wanted to do after college, and so it wasn't like I was, oh, hey, let me hit it off with you. Let's do this whole introduction thing. Not to mention, shall I say, it's like you guys weren't busy to be busy. You were busy chasing a purpose. Yes, yes. You know, she had had some goals. She wanted to be, um, you know, a a top athlete, like I said, all-American. I'm not going to assume what her priorities are, um, but I th- I do believe that a part of uh, me personally, I believe she could have made a run at the U.S. women's team if she chose that path. Okay. Um, so that's the kind of level athlete that she is and level of competitor she is. Um, and so, you know, we had all this stuff on our plate, and so it was nice to have somebody to be able to get on the phone with in the evening or chat with in the evening that I didn't have to spend time getting to know and breaking yeah. the ice. Cause we all know how it is yeah. when you're, when you're seeing somebody new, it's so awkward because you never know what to say. People are all, they're shy. They're embarrassed. They don't want to open up because they don't want to be too vulnerable and yeah. all these kind of things, which is why sometimes being in a relationship is great because a lot of those boundaries have already been figured out. Yeah. So you can kind of just be yourself and not worry about it. Well, and too, you know, we're 19, 20, 20 year olds. And yeah, you're still trying to figure life out. Well, and most of our peers have no idea what they want to do after undergrad. I'm still trying to figure out what I, do, what I want to do when I grow up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I'm in the same boat where, you know, who knows what I'm going to do when I grow up. Um, but that, that relationship dynamic worked. Um, and so, you know, we dated through college. Um, you know, it was my summers were down in Memphis when I wasn't, you know, doing the Marine thing. Um, and we both graduate and I go to Quantico, Virginia. So, uh, for the Marine Corps pipeline, every Marine officer has to go to Quantico, Virginia for six months to do what we call the basic school. And every Marine officer is going to, going to learn to be a provisional rifle platoon commander. Doesn't matter what your specialty is. Uh, doesn't matter what you're going to do. 
That's that's the one great thing about the Marines is like you're first a rifleman and then your job is secondary. Yes, yes. Because that's that's kind of the the tools of war, shall yeah. we say? And and you know, I I was a supply and logistics officer. It's like I'm never going to re- lead a rifle platoon, but they teach you the basics of how to do that. That way, even if you're in a support function, you know what their mission is, so you can best support it. Okay. Um. So spent six months there. Um. Right before I went to TBS, I engaged uh, with Ashley, and I, I asked her to marry me, and she said yes, thankfully. Um, <laughs> but she she knew what this what craziness was going to go on. Um, you know, we had a lot of discussions leading up to that of the Marines are number one priority. Like, if you can handle being second fiddle, then this is going to work. I gave her plenty of options to to get out of that, if you will. Um, well, I think that's the one difficult thing that most people who aren't familiar with the military don't realize is that for for you going into the military and then her being like, if she wanted to marry you, being, being the wife of someone in the military, it's like she can't be first. Like right. your job has to be first because otherwise – the family will suffer because if you don't put your job first, meaning that you're going to survive and come home from war yep. or your deployment or whatever it is that you're going to do, then everyone else is going to suffer down the chain. And the problem with that is, is that most people can't deal with that, which is why the divorce rate in the military is so drastically high. I mean, the last I heard, it was well over 70% yeah. divorce rate. Well, well, I don't know what the exact like statistics are, but it's very high. I, I got really lucky because Ashley was there through the entire process. Yes. It wasn't like she came into the middle of it and now you have to learn to navigate, hey, this is the first priority or this, and I'm not the first priority. She knew this going into it, had plenty of opportunity to take the off ramp if she so chose. Yes. Um, but she didn't. She said, hey, you know, I'm in this with you. I support you with this. Let's let's go do this. Um, and so we got engaged, planning our wedding out. We're going to have our wedding uh, at the end of TBS. I was going to graduate in May. Um, we were going to get married in May and then go on to, you know, follow up schools and then on to our first unit. Um, I knew I wanted to be overseas. Uh, you know, you get this list and you say, hey, do you want to be East Coast, West Coast? Do you want to be overseas? And I said, overseas, screw the rest. <laughs> uh, like, just put me anywhere outside of the continental United States. And so it was, I got what I wanted, but I knew I was, I knew I wanted that. And so Ashley and I said, well, we're going to have to get passports ready. We're going to have to get all this stuff planned. This is easier to do if we're already married. Yes. Uh, the military doesn't really care about your relationship unless you're married. They care about the whether or not the state considers you married. Yes. Um, and, <laughs> and so, we, you know, we talked we talk to our folks. We talked to uh, our minister and everything. And we said, you know, this is the situation. There's a 70% chance that my first duty station is outside of the United States. We need to get this figured out. And so um, we ended up eloping in Stafford, Virginia. Uh, on a weekend in February where we're just like, hey, let's go get this done. She came up to Quantico. Uh, we went to the Stafford Courthouse, got our license. Uh, we went with another Marine couple um, down to this guy's house. He had, I think, 20 cats in the house. Oh, Jesus. And it, the house just reeked of weed. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, I'm thinking cat piss. But... Yeah, well, cat, cat, <laughs> cat piss and weed. And weed. Um, oh, so it was, an inter- it was an interesting ambiance, if you will. <laughs> Uh, so it was great, but we, we, we got that certified, um, which ended up working out really well because I got orders to Okinawa. 
Um, you know, I went on to supply school in, in Lejeune for a couple months. She was out there with me and then we flew overseas to, to Okinawa and, um, I, we got married in May and by, uh, August we were out in Okinawa, Japan. And I cannot say enough for what that did to solidify our relationship. You know, in the first three years of being married, we are on an island with only each other as a support system. Essentially, yeah. Everything else is taken away. Yeah, you are a fourteen hundred dollar ticket and and fourteen hour flight home if you want to go see your folks. And so, you know, it wasn't like, oh, I'm mad at you, so I can run to my parents, or you know, yeah, we got to hey, stay here and figure it out like yeah, adults. Yeah, or hey, uh, you know, sorry, you're on an exercise off island. Uh, the plumbing's broke. I'm going to have my dad come over and fix it. No, it's like we have to support each other and we have to be in this 100%. And so that that piece of it, I think, helped solidify the next 10 years of our relationship. I mean, for sure. So it was great. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Well, there's so many places we could go from there. Uh, so how long were you stationed in Japan? three and a half years so was that your your entire duty station were you were you stationed somewhere else uh after that we ended up going to albany georgia okay so i was at logistics command down there um and that was that was a that was an interesting experience um i enjoyed the time at okinawa um it was an interesting time so I was at a unit that was responsible for bringing other units from the continental United States over to do a Pacific deployment. Okay. Um, not in the deployment sense of, hey, I'm going to Afghanistan or Iraq. Um, Which obviously were the wars that were going on at the time. Right. But at the same time, we still need to maintain a presence presence in the Pacific because you've got North Korea, you've got China, you've got other threats in that area that need you need to be ready for. Yeah, you need to be a deterrent of. <laughs> yes. And so um, we would, I was in an artillery battalion that we'd bring groups over. We'd go do shoots all over the Pacific, whether that's up in mainland Japan, Thailand, Korea, Australia, all over the place. Um, and so there was a lot of times that I was traveling, I was off island and, you know, actually had to build relationships to, to maintain a support group over there. Um, you know, at one point she looked at me and she, she said, you know, you're home just enough to be annoying. <laughs> She's like, you come home, you do laundry. I get acclimated to you being home and then you're gone again. Uh, sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. So we had to work through that and, and communication was key and it was nice to have had a long distance relationship before to know kind what, of how that works, yeah. what level of communication was needed to make sure that that worked. Um, and so we were over there. It was a great time. Uh, we were newlyweds. Um, we know, we both knew we wanted kids at some point in time. Um, I think she wanted kids before I did. Uh, and hence we started with adopting one dog. Um, <laughs> that always how it goes. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and I can, I can speak to my mentality. Um, I don't want to speak to hers, but you know, I'm like, okay, well, I don't want kids right now because we've got this wonderful thing, uh, where she's working and I'm working. We call them dinks, dual income, no kids. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, I'm loving the stink lifestyle. Like, you know, if we want to fly to Tokyo for the weekend, we fly to Tokyo for the weekend. If we want to book a trip to Hong Kong, we book a trip to Hong Kong. And it's like, we're 20 year olds, you know, mid twenties running around the Pacific living like Kings. Um, how long can I delay this 
kid thing. Yeah, because that kind of ties you down a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know what all that entailed. I just knew that that was a lot of responsibility. I didn't. I knew I wasn't ready for it. <laughs> so we adopt one dog. She likes the dog. Dog is great. And she's like, I want another one. So we get another dog. And then she's like, I want kids. And I'm like, here's the third dog. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so I, we got the third dog. Uh, and it was great. And then towards the end of the, the tour in Okinawa, uh, we're both like, okay, um, you know, we're in our mid twenties, you know, let's, let, let's try this kid thing. Yeah, let's you, get serious. You've got this. to have fun for a few years. You're, you're mm-hmm. out of the country. You're immersing yourself in this yes. beautiful culture. Like I don't know too much about the Japanese culture, but it's fascinating. Well, it, it, it is fascinating. And there was a different dynamic in Okinawa where Okinawans don't consider themselves Japanese. Really? So there are you know, traditional Japanese on the island, but for the most part, you know, Okinawa is part of the Ryoku kingdom centuries ago, and they consider themselves Okinawa. They don't consider themselves necessarily Japanese. Okay. Um, you know, if you look at the history of the Pacific, the Japanese were as much occupiers as the United States were. Yes. Um, and so, you know, it's been this history of occupation from, you know, trading with the Chinese to being occupied by the Japanese to, you know, now having a heavy United States presence over there. Um, so it's an interesting historical and cultural dynamic that you get over there. So, huh. but um, towards the end of the, of the tour over there, we're like, okay, let's get serious about this kid thing. Um, and we end up having my oldest daughter, Olivia. We had her, um, Six months before we left Ireland. Okay. So she was born in January. I was getting orders over the summer, and you know we were headed out of there. So uh, we like to say she was born. Uh, uh, she uh, born in Japan, made with American parts. So. <laughs> now, even though you guys aren't in the country, she's still considered an American citizen because you were like in a duty station, right? Yes. Um, and at the time that we were over there. Um, she was not eligible for dual citizenship because at the time you had to have a Japanese national parent to be considered. Okay. So at least one of your parents had to be a Japanese national. Okay. To get dual citizenship. Gotcha. Um, so she was born on the naval base. Um, you know, it was a great time. Uh, I took care of her. And, uh, I, the day, I remember the day that she was born, I ended up calling my dad and I said, this is the most excited and terrified i've ever <laughs> been in my entire life uh, understandable um and so so it was great um had a daughter uh we uh uh what's called pcs back home um and went to albany georgia spent three years down there um, that's a what a permanent change of station yeah uh, permanent change of station permanent duty change uh so we spent three years in albany georgia which is out in the absolute middle of nowhere. That's usually where military bases yes. are. Yes. So, like, I, Fort Benning was the closest thing uh, up in Columbus, Georgia, and they were an hour and a half from Atlanta, and we were an hour and a half from them. So, we're three hours from Atlanta, and I would always hear the the Army brats at uh, uh, Fort Benning going, you know, oh, this sucks. We're out in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, you're like a 90-minute drive from Atlanta. Like, stop complaining. Yeah. Like, we're, and that's an easy drive. Yeah. We're in the middle of nowhere. So, uh, but that was a good time. A lot of hunting down there. Um, you know, a lot of fishing, you know, the whole country song you can do in Georgia. So, <laughs> uh, so it was, it was good. Uh, but we knew we were getting, I, I knew I had a decision to make, um, either stay in long term or get out and, and do the civilian thing. And, um, 
this was a good conversation that her and I had. And I was really blessed to be at Albany, Georgia, because it's a lot of senior military members that go there. Um, so it's typically like lieutenant colonels, colonels that are on their last duty station and they're trying to make a major impact on what's going on around the Marine Corps logistics wise. Um, and I got to see a lot of these guys retire and what they were doing post-retirement. And it was very eye-opening to me to see, you know, lieutenant colonels and colonels who had been leading high-level organizations go out and be okay with, uh, you know, middle management job. Yeah, because that's really all they're qualified for. And that was very eye-opening. I thought, you know, oh, these guys are going to go be, you know, in the C-suite, and that's not they, the case. They should be, though. That That's the problem. There's an argument to be made for or against. Some of the best people I've ever met are in the military. Well, some of the worst people I've ever met. Of course, are also but, in the but that's 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 a given because yeah. no matter what profession you're into, I don't care if it's a professional disc golf player to a professional ball golf player yeah. to a freaking you know CEO of a company to doctors, lawyers, you name it. There's dirt bags in there. Yeah. No matter what, like, you know why I know that because there's fucking people there. Yeah. Okay. Like <laughs> Andy Stump talks about this all the time, where like people talk about him as this big reverent thing because he used to be a navy seal and he's like yeah some of the best people i know were the navy seals that's what i've known he went in when he was 18 yeah and then he got um commissioned later to be an officer so he did like both sides of it which is interesting so he had yeah. this like like long career i think he was in for like 17 years so it's what he knew most of his life right he's like but the worst people i know in the world are also from the seals <laughs> yeah he's like it's like th- th- there's it's not like everybody who makes it through is this amazing person like that's not how that works but right. The ones who were there, who were really good at their jobs, who were amazing human beings, who did it for all the right reasons. It's like some of those, they should be like leading companies because like, that's what they're good at. Would, like the, the market doesn't see that for some reason. I, I think that's part of it. The other piece of it, and this is what I learned from them, was the level of regret that they had for the sacrifices they made on family terms to support their military career. Yes. And it when you've done that for 20 years, are you willing to do that for another 20 years to run a company? That's an excellent point. If you're saying, hey, one of my largest regrets is I didn't get to see my kids grow up, and now I want to spend the next 20 years nurturing their development and building a relationship with them, I don't want to spend my time on a corporation that doesn't care anything about me. Yes. So... Um, that was another piece that I had learned. Um, we had my second daughter and the, you know, if I'm really honest with myself, what my decision to leave the military came down to was I could no longer put my Marines first. My daughters came first and their development and what they needed came first. Okay. And that put me in a really weird spot where, you know, maybe I get to lead Marines in combat. Maybe I don't. But if I did, am I able to make the decisions that put them first? And if I'm honest with myself, the answer is no, because my daughters come first. Okay. And so I said, okay, let's let's find an exit strategy. Um, so, uh, you know, worked with a headhunter, uh, submitted my resignation, and got out, moved back up to Cleveland. Uh, been up here for the last four years and enjoying life. Well, since you kind of grew up in Southern Ohio and then you did your college time in like the middle Ohio, Columbus, like what brought you to Northeast Ohio? 
The job. Just the job? The job. So I, I worked with a, a recruiter out of, um, while I was getting out, and their big thing is, hey, you can't if, – if you're going to be marketable, you need to not worry about geography at all. Um, so – Yes of, and no, because you still need support systems and structures and everything yeah. else. I mean, you guys, obviously, you and your wife had learned how to lean on each other, and that's fine. But now with, with kids involved, it's like grandparents want to be involved in, in their yeah. life, too. Yeah. And so we've got to think them, about those things. We want them to know their cousins. We want them to know their aunts and uncles. Yes. Um, and that's important. And so while their pitch was, hey, don't worry about geography, it's still a part of the decision. And so I interviewed with uh, several companies. Uh, you know, ranging from being in Wisconsin to Illinois to um, I ended up landing a position with KeyBank here in Cleveland. Um, and I said, you know, this is an opportunity to get home or closer to home. What was home? Uh, so I took that. Um, and it was a, it was a good experience. Um, and then I've kind of bounced around since then. Uh, Unfortunately, in today's job market, that's kind of how it works. What, it, the days are long gone where you're at a company where they value you and they take care of you and they grow you through your entire career. That Now the days are, you know, how cheaply can we pay these people? What, what what little bonuses can we give them to maximize ours? And then we'll screw everybody else over in the end because who cares? They're just a number. You know, unfortunately, when I talk to people, that's 90% of the workforce. Well, and, and that's the thing is, you know, even in the Marine Corps, like there's a lot of esprit de corps where you, you are excited about being there. You have a lot of uh, drive to be there. But at the end of the day, the Marine Corps doesn't care about you. No. You, if, you're a cog in the machine. Yes. And when you're gone, they'll put a new one in there. But the same thing goes for corporate America. Absolutely. And so as long as you can make peace with that, you can move fluidly through the system. Um and for me, I steal uh, the philosophy from Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which is, what am I learning from this current role that I'm in? If I'm not learning anything else, I need to go somewhere else because I need to be challenged and I need to continue to grow. So it was nice in the Marine Corps to get that leadership aspect. Uh, it was nice to be at Key Bank because I learned some things about myself. I can only sell a product if I believe in the product or service being offered. Unless you're a dirtbag. <laughs> Unless you're a dirtbag. But for me personally, that's what I learned about myself was I was often upselling products to businesses that didn't necessarily need it and could be onboarded with a product that didn't have as high a margin. Um, and so, you know, I wasn't a great salesperson because I was trying to get them on these products that didn't have as high margins, but would benefit their business long term. Um, and so I realized that and I'm like, okay, Hey, I need to do something else. And so, um, you know, I left there, went to McMaster car, been there for the last three and a half years. Um, it's been great. I've enjoyed my time there. Um, but at the same time, I'm getting to a place where I'm not growing personally and professionally. Um, and so I actually just recently, um, uh, left there and I'm about to start with a startup here shortly. And it's one of those things where it's like, I'm diving in well over my pay grade and i'm gonna try to figure this out yeah it's exciting and it's scary and everything else but you'll either rise to the occasion or things won't work out it's one of the two well and 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 the old adage in jujitsu you you either win or you learn and so if i fail i learn that's good it's growth so um and you also just uh went back to school recently as well correct yeah yeah so i went back to school had the right reasons for going back to school this time uh you know it wasn't c's you know, make the, uh, the grade this time. Um, you know, doing night classes online, I assume. Yeah. So I went to Syracuse to get my MBA. Um, and 
I went back because I, when I got out of the military, I had the soft skills looking around my peer group and those above me and the leadership aspect was there. The business acumen and the hard skills were not. And so I had to go back and get further education so that I was on par or above where my peer group was. And so I, I ended up concentrating in accounting and data analytics I felt like that went really well. I actually focused on, you know, how much can I learn, retain, and use? Um, and that translated into good grades and ended up uh, getting the master's done. So, good. Yeah. That makes you very marketable, which is good. Yes. Because unfortunately, in today's day and age, without a piece of paper from a college, most places won't even look at you, which is ridiculous because most of those pieces of paper are irrelevant. Yeah. I think you're going to get more on-the-job training, yeah. like like what you're doing now, like jumping in over your over your head, yeah. thinking, okay, it's sink or swim time, let's do this thing. Yeah. You're going to learn so much more there practically than you will from schooling where you're learning from professors who never did it themselves, yeah. who are only teaching you out of a book, which was my college experience, whereas I got out in the real world and realized, oh, shit, I don't know anything. So I had to learn it all on the job, but I got this stupid piece of paper that got me the job, but now I'm actually going to learn to do the job, yeah. which is so ridiculous, well, but it is what it is. And that, that stupid piece of paper, I had a really good why. I need a safety net for my daughters. I need to be employed to support them. And so getting this piece of paper does a better in job of ensuring employment so that way I can support them. So That's fair. So that kind of catches us up to today. Yeah. Uh, I guess one big question that we haven't talked about, and then we'll get into whatever relationship uh, stuff you want to talk about. I'm sure that'll bring up all kinds of crazy tangents. Yeah. Um, what, when did you get into jujitsu? So I got into jujitsu as soon as I got back to Cleveland. Okay. So, well, eh, it's kind of a long story. Um, Boil it down. We can get more into detail of that later. When I was at Ohio State, uh, there was a MMA club at Ohio State. Did a little bit there. Did you do any like combative stuff in the Marine Corps? Yes. Okay. So I, um, I had my black belt in Marine Corps martial arts, which really means you can do the white belt things in yeah. any other. They, they, they just don't yeah. know what they don't know. Well, it, it's They don't have even... time to focus on it. Yeah. Because their job exact... is to shoot you in the face. That's their job. Well, that's, that's exactly it. What is the most effective things that we can do that are also really quick to teach? Yes. Because you got to be able to teach every knuckle yes. dragger that's coming through there. Yes, um, and I and I got lucky while I was in Okinawa. My um, my gunny was a uh, Golden Gloves boxer, so you know he got to show me th- things, and um, he's the one that ended up giving me my black belt. So, so you've been into the martial arts since college. I enjoy interpersonal violence as a way to de-stress, um, and as long as that's in a controlled way, like I'm not going out and getting bar fights. I'm that's. You're you're a grown ass man with a family to support. That's yes. irresponsible. Yeah, I don't need somebody slipping and hitting their head, whether it be me or somebody else, and then a lawsuit follow. Don't yeah. want any of that part yeah. of that. Um, and but I've enjoyed that. I've enjoyed the physical aspect. You know, it it is very intimate in nature. And so you know, when I moved up to Cleveland, uh, when Shannon was at um, Evolve, Evolve, thank you, uh, found his school there. Uh, went down there and uh, signed up around the beginning of January. And he was like, you know, is this a New Year's resolution or anything? I was like, no, I just really miss having an aspect of interpersonal violence in my life. So this is going to fill that void since I left the military. Um, so uh, ended up going up there in 20, 
2018. My daughter was born in 2017, so Cause yeah, 2018. Because he founded True Art in 2018. So you, so you just started training with him a few months before you went over or the year before? Uh, it would have been a year before. Okay. I, yeah, he went August 2018. Okay. Right? I don't remember exactly. I know it was 2018 that he founded True Art. It was in the fall? Yeah. Okay, so you were up with him that entire year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he let us know that he was founding True Art, went over to True Art, um, and have enjoyed it ever since. Okay. So. So been there for, or what? Four years. Four years. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, did you do any kind of jujitsu before that, or was it just the uh, Marine Corps stuff and then some of the boxing things that you did? Uh, a little bit of grappling in there. Okay. So. But not really anything formal. No, nothing formal. Gotcha. You know, so it's it mostly with Shannon. Yep. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. I'm, that makes sense. Then I, I would say I've been with Shannon for my entire grappling career. Which is good, because yep. he's a hell of a good coach. Yes. He's an asshole. He's a hell of a good coach. Yes. Yeah, you're, you're not going to find a better gi program in Northeast Ohio. No, definitely not. And I tell people that all the time, and they look at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, no, I'm serious. Because I've, I've seen this. I, I started at a different gym yeah. just because it was uh, more convenient for where I was. And then when I was looking to get back into jiu-jitsu after about a year off, um, I found True Art. And it was, at the time, halfway between the work and the gym that I was going to. So I'm like... I'm going to give this a shot. And I, and I talked to my old coach and I told him, Hey, I'm looking to get back into it. I'm looking at this gym because it's more convenient for me. It's like, I appreciate all the things that you've done, but this is kind of where I'm headed. And he tried to scare me out of it a little bit, but that's okay. Like some of that's business marketing, but also some of it is true arts intense. Mm -hmm. And whereas the, the gym that I was going to is very family oriented. There was a lot of people there who maybe they were doing it just to lose some weight or their kids were involved. So they're just going to kind of do it. Nobody really is competitive there. And I tend to be a little bit too competitive for my own good. But I also realize I'm older now. I'm doing this to learn. I'm not doing this to be a world-class competitor like, like I was trying to do in weightlifting. Yep. Um, I'm doing this because I want to learn. I think every grown man should know how to fight. And I think it's the most practical thing to do. Although I love Muay Thai. It's a beautiful art. It's just gorgeous to watch somebody do it well. But I don't want to get kicked in the face. Yeah. I just don't. Like, I would love to learn how to, like, hit pads and hit the pad, uh, hit the bag, do it properly. I would love, like, Devin and Feeks and, like, you to teach us some of that boxing stuff or kickboxing. I would love to learn those things. But it's not a huge priority. But also, the very first time I ever went to a gym, I got my ass kicked by somebody literally half my size mm -hmm. who, I mean, I mean, quite literally half my size, who was... And I was the biggest, strongest, most athletic I've ever been in my life. I was like, I need to learn this shit. Yeah. And the, the more I've trained, especially with guys like Ben and Devin, who are, quote, unquote, the big guys in the gym, which is adorable, because I outweigh <laughs> them by quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's been so good to train with them and to learn. It's like, okay, there really is something to this. And the, the more that I train, the more that I really do enjoy it. And I'm tiptoeing the idea of competing again. Because of what Ben did out in Worlds. It yeah. really kind of opened my eyes. And I told myself, it's interesting is when I got into jiu-jitsu, I got in for purple belt. Yeah. That's all I got in for. Because yeah. I was thinking like, okay, if I could train for this long enough to be a purple belt, I could handle just about anybody I'm going to ever come across. Whether that be a D1 wrestler or someone who's done jiu-jitsu, like I'm going to be able to at least hold my own. Mm -hmm. Period. So I never got in for black belt or whatever. I mean, if we get there, we get there. I don't I haven't decided that or not. For me, it's just I'm enjoying the journey and I'm, I'm liking what I'm learning and it's it's a great camaraderie. It's 
when I first got into CrossFit, which obviously you know quite a bit about, I believe yes. your wife is a CrossFit coach, right? Yeah, she's a CrossFit addict yes. for sure. Right, like when I first got into that, when I got fat for the second time, uh, <laughs> I started doing that, and that was the closest thing I ever got to like high school football. That camaraderie that you have yeah. with the shared suffering and everything yeah. else, but camaraderie through adversity, exactly. But the closeness that you have with people that you're grappling with. That you're quite literally simulating murder, as yep. Joe Rogan talks about all the time. Aggressive cuddling. Yeah, it's like there, there's a closeness there that, that the CrossFit just doesn't touch. Right. Because, yeah, you have that shared adversity and the struggle with CrossFit, but you don't have that intimacy of literally taking someone's joints to the very edge of breaking and then backing off because they, they submitted to you and you're yep. good to go. And then having that trust in someone else to put their arms around your neck and pull and pull you into your eyes are closing in the the darkness is coming and you say okay this is all i can take i'm going to tap out now and they stop and you laugh about it it's no big deal it's it's just another tuesday training you well, know so it's interesting to to see that in the in the gym but it, it's getting me more excited about competing again cuz i really do miss competing and here's the amazing thing shannon's done with true art is you see this a lot in the crossfit community um from anecdotes I've heard from other Brazilian jiu-jitsu gyms is there's there's a lot of people in the gym competing against each other. Yes. Shannon has really fostered an environment where everybody in that room is trying to make everybody else better. Yes. Where, it's, it's about bringing the room yes. up. Like great example is we've got a couple of people getting ready to compete in a big IBJJF tournament or down in Indianapolis. Dusty. Dusty's getting ready. He either fought last night or is fighting. It next, was last night. Last night. Yeah, he just fought. And it, everybody in that room is trying to get him prepped for that yes. fight. And it was make sure he stays healthy, stay away from his legs so nothing stupid happens. And then they you know, pair, me, pair him up with me. <laughs> well, it's just, you know, be, just be smart. Yeah, yeah. But it's also let's push him, let's get him ready. And that's the big yeah. thing is coming into next week, we'll be training really hard because we're going to be getting Dustin and Plazic ready, ready to Indy. go down in Indianapolis. Yeah. And then we're going to take a little bit of a break. But then the whole gym is going to be competing because there's going to be probably eight or ten people, I would imagine, going to the Chicago Open, which is yep. a huge tournament for us because all the like, tag teams there. yeah because we we go under tag team and the tag team always tries to win that because they're kind of positioned in the midwest yep so that's local for everybody to kind of go to where we can get everybody there to compete whereas obviously indianapolis is close for us yeah because we're here in northeast ohio but for the guys in chicago that's a really long drive to come down to like yeah. it's not the end of the world but it's as just a regular competitor somebody doing it you know, as a hobby on the weekends, it's it's really tough to dedicate that much time. But yeah. the Chicago Open's close enough for most of us that we can get there and spend the weekend. So I'm really excited to to see wh where that goes. And I'm really hoping that they let spectators in because I really want to go and watch the guys compete. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be a shit ton of fun. Yeah. Uh, that was my first exposure to competition was... Going to watch? Going to watch uh, spring of 2018, the guys compete in Chicago. Okay. Um, and you know, I wasn't competing. It was a brand new white belt. Um, and I went out there and sat in the stands and watched them compete. And it was absolutely amazing. So it was a great time. And, you know, Ashley got to come along and I was new into jujitsu. And so she got to see what it was about yeah. as well. You crazy assholes. What is all this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why are they wearing pajamas? Yeah. Why, why are they wrestling in their pajamas? <laughs> it's called a gi, damn it. Yeah. So uh, it, all right. it's a good time. Um, you know, I'm hoping to be healthy to train for Chicago. So we'll see. I had to pull out of Indy 
Uh, but you know, I mean, those kind of things happen. It you know, it's like when you it when happens. you train in hard, injuries happen. Like I mean, yeah. I just I'm still coming back off my MCL tear. Yeah. So I like I I've I really think that my knee is 100% healed. I really do believe that my MCL is healed. But now. I've got to strengthen, strengthen and restructure mm-hmm. everything else around my knee because I've been detrained for the last, you know, three to four months. So it's still building up slowly because Holly was asking yesterday, no, Thursday, if I was going to be competing in Chicago. I'm like, no. I was like, maybe next year yep. because it's still going to be me slowly building up rounds over the next two or three months to know that my knee is – healthy and 100% good to go. Right now, I'm not worried about injuring it, yeah. but now it's like I got to build back up the strength around it. Like I was telling Ben the other day when we were uh, sparring is that I'm treating it like like sets and reps in the gym. Yeah. Like you got to slowly add volume to make sure you don't overwork it because unfortunately, I overworked it a couple weeks ago and I was out for a week. Yeah. Because like my, my hamstring was so jacked up because I just I had overworked it, which which is a good news, yeah, because it wasn't my knee. But still, it's like I got to slowly build back up, and not to mention, if I wait till next year, I'll be a Masters three. Well, and, so. and, and here's <laughs> here's an interesting aspect to think about too, is you're a blue belt. At blue belt, there is such a wide variety of skill sets. Yes, you have your brand new blue belt who is still a white belt. Yeah, still a spaz, but has a blue belt on their around their waist. And then you have the ones that are just about to hit purple who have had three or four years of training as a blue belt and are just absolute monsters out there. And then when you get in the masters divisions, it's a crapshoot. You may be coming in against a, a Neptune who's got decades of grappling experience. Who, yeah, who just got into yeah, jujitsu? Who, who, who happened to be a blue belt? It's like, uh, yeah, you're not really. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it, you there's a wider variety or uh, variety of skill sets there. And I, I experienced that. I went out to um, Chicago as a brand new blue belt and just got my ass handed to me. Um, but I don't know if I'd agree with that. If no, 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 that was a different. That okay, was, that it's was, like if that's the tournament that I watched. That was a different thing. So, so that that's the intra, interesting uh, juxtaposition there is the year before I competed in Chicago and, and um, got beat and got beat handedly. Um, got put in single leg X and got swept off a of single leg X and sat for five minutes in side control. The next year went out to Chicago. And I felt really good. I didn't win that match, you know, break both my ankles. That's okay. Um, but I, I felt like I had out grappled that individual during that match. Um, and it was great for me to see what that year of training had accomplished. Yes. Cause day in and day out on the gym, it's like everybody else in the room is getting better. And so that's not a gauge. Yeah. Of because the one that I saw, obviously your second trip yeah. out to Chicago, you were beating that person handily and they they fell back on your ankles as a last minute hoorah and unfortunately one of them worked uh, fuck pop- it try a leg yeah, lock he popped one of your ankles and like fuck you you're not tapping me on that shit and they fell on the other one and they got you on that one yeah. like it's like ah. but yeah. coach talks about all the time it's like if somebody can't pass your guard and they're losing that's like the big hell mary they're gonna fall back on your legs and hope and pray and it's like, okay, well, we need to learn how to defend that because I saw that and I got a little scared. I'm like, shit, like I wouldn't want some guy my size cranking on that. So it's like, I got to be really careful on that stuff. Well, and that was a great, I, I sat in the stands with, you know, ice on both my ankles the rest of the day, but I watched every single match and the, uh, the level of leg locks, even in the gi has come up tremendously. Yes. These guys are pulling to 50, 50 in the gi and it's like, okay, we need to, we need to up our game here. 
Um, you know, and that's why you know you see me rolling with Joe. You see me rolling with Timmy. Yeah, the and, guys and, in the gym who yeah, really attack yeah, the legs. Ty, those guys that know that leg lock game and have been playing that leg lock game for a little bit and learning that, and especially at my size, being in a lightweight class, that is there's yeah, more. It's, it's going to be common, there. yeah. Because yeah. big guys they don't like to pull guard, so yeah. that's a very that's never going to happen. Now, they might fall back on it if it's their only dish chance and they can't get past your guard or something's going on. Sure, but they're yeah. ne- they're never going to pull that. It's never going to happen. Yeah. Because you don't want some guy my size laying on top of you. It just, you just don't want that. Yep. Okay. We're off on the weeds again. All right. Let's get back <laughs> into relationships here. <laughs> but this, this is the great thing about the show is that we can talk about whatever we want. This yep. is awesome. So, all right. Are there any uh, big questions that you had coming in? Because I know the relationships were things that you wanted to talk about. I want to hear. So, Ashley and I just celebrated our 10-year anniversary. Um, been married 10 years. It's been a great ride so far. It's going to continue to be a great ride. I want to hear a little bit about your experience and your history with relationships. So I don't have too much of a history with with relationships because I got married very young. We had we had my daughter, and we tried to do the right thing. We got married when she was like six months old or something like that. My freshman year of it was like Christmas break in my freshman year of college. Like, all right, well let's let's get married. Let's do the right thing. Let's let's be there for her. Let's do all these kind of things. And and it was a horrible idea. We never should have done it because we were. We were 19 years old. I mean, I, she might have been – no, she was still 19. She just turned 20 just after that. But it's like we, we were so young and we didn't know what was going on and we didn't have life figured out. And I was three hours away at college and she she was at home with my parents living because we couldn't support ourselves and a kid and those kind of things, you know, with, with me in school and not working or what have you. So it was it was – it was it was a dumb idea. We never should have done it. A bunch of people told us not to. We did it anyway. Because you don't know what you're talking about. Like it's gonna be great. You know all this kind of stupid shit that you tell yourself when you're that young. And uh, things things didn't work out. We were just horrible for each other. I mean, we were we just we had nothing in common. We didn't have any any common interests or anything like that. It's, we didn't do anything together. When I was when I was home, she wanted to run off and have fun with her friends because she'd been working all week and taking care of our daughter, which I understand. So she would go off and have fun and I would get some sleep and then go to work in the morning or what have you because I was working, you know, what, 12 hour shift Saturday and Sunday and then back off to school either Sunday night or Monday morning, depending on how tired I was and if I thought I could make that drive Sunday night because normally that was rough. <laughs> but trying to make an eight o'clock class Monday morning was rough too. So it is, it is what it is. But so we, we did all that and then we, we got divorced because things just obviously were not good. It was it was a toxic situation. And I spent most of my twenties very single. Like not even trying to date, no thoughts of it, no nothing, just trying to figure my own shit out. Now, I went through a pretty bad depression after we got divorced, but I don't really remember a lot of that. To me it was is all just kind of a blur of just rough times like it was it was a very difficult thing in my I think I was like 20 or 21 when we were like officially like divorced I forget when all the paperwork was finalized but I had left I think when I was 20 and um yeah I think it was just before I turned 21 but um that led me down a bad path of drinking way too much and doing all that kind of stuff too and that just hit that at the pocketbook too much like I can't be spending 70 bucks at the bar every Wednesday and Thursday night this is ridiculous yeah. like yeah. I'll just drink at home it's way cheaper I got to stop for God I'm not a quitter yeah. but uh but no but through my 20s I was very very single just trying to figure my own shit out and I I grew personally so much which was great I needed that but I didn't I didn't really think that I was ready for a relationship and I went on a 
couple of dates, I think, come to my, my late 20s, like early 30s here and there, but nothing really panned out. And I'm, I'm of that generation that I, yeah, I'm technically a millennial, but I don't really feel like a millennial. I don't really feel like the kids. I feel like more like a generation X, right? Just yeah. missed out on. And like, I don't like the idea of online dating. It's so superficial and it's bullshit. Yep. And that's, that's the struggle that I've had over the last, I don't know how many years where I was, I've realized, you know what? I'm good enough now that I'm happy with myself that I could be in a relationship but I'm not looking like we talked about earlier. I'm not looking for somebody now to fulfill me. I'm looking for somebody who's going to add value to my life. Yes. And that that's been the very frustrating thing of the online dating is I feel like I'm a good guy. Like I, I got a good job. I got my own place. I got my shit together. Like I've got my own things. I'm not going to be super needy and clingy. You can do your things and we'll hang out together from time to time. Sure. But for the most part, it's like I can just do me. Like I'm good here. It's I don't I don't need you to to, to uh, complete my life, right? But I also still had believed in that lie that we've been told since we were young men is that you're going to find this one magical woman and she's going to change your life and complete you and do, be all the things that you're not, and blah, 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 blah. And I, I had thought that that was what I was looking for, was that one magical person to come into my life. Because again, I've been told that since I was a little kid. And it wasn't until... Last year, I was going through a very tough time. I was definitely depressed. I hate using the depressed. I was in a funk. I'll call it that. Like, I, I hate using the D word. But it really was. I was depressed most of the year. Last year was a very tough year. And I, I'm getting ready to cover it in the podcast. We're not there yet, people. Calm down. But we're, we're going to cover it soon. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting ready to the point where I'm, I'm ready for that. But uh, I, I had this epiphany last year that, what I had thought about a relationship, I was looking for this one magical person to marry and to complete my life and to do all these things. I realized it's all bullshit. Like there's going to be multiple people throughout the, the span of my life that can add value and, and help me grow and make me a better person. Not because of them, but because of what that relationship brings to my life, right? So I, I'd kind of given up on this idea of this one magical person. And I was like, you know what? It was very freeing. Because like I was in a relationship a couple of years ago that I I was all in when it very first happened. Like we had instant chemistry. Things really clicked. Things were really good. I thought she was everything that I was looking for and all those kind of things. And again, I thought she was that magical one person. So I was all fucking in. Like, let's do this thing. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, she never was. Right. You know, and she was open about that, but I didn't want to hear it. And I wasn't ready for that. And... And things didn't go well. We were kind of off again, on again for a while. I think more off again than on again, honestly. But I was still just circling around that thinking like, this is this is the one. This is amazing. And let's do this thing. And then when things came to a, like a really abrupt end at the, at the very end, it was like I was not ready for that. I didn't prepare myself for it because I've been avoiding it. I mean, for well over a year and a half because mm. I just – I didn't want to ask the hard questions because I knew what the answer was going to be. And it wasn't the answer that I wanted to hear. Yeah. But it was one of those things like when 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 we broke up, like I went into a, a very bad depression. Like I had trouble getting out of bed in the morning. I couldn't focus at work. Like it, it was a really rough time. And I had to really lean on friends close to me to get me through that tough time. 
Because I, so I was a fucking mess. Because again, in my mind, I was like, this is the one person and she slipped in my fingers and oh my God, what am I going to do now? And blah, blah, blah. It's kind of like sob story I told myself. And it was, it was so great. My friend Chris, you know, she, she had helped me through this tough time. And I mean, I mean, Christ, we, we probably talked almost every day for five, six months and and she and she and just helped me through that time. Whether it was just sit there quietly with me as I'm freaking tears are falling down my face, and there's nothing I can do to stop it, or to just talk through things of what was going on. And she said, at one point when I was ready to hear it, I wasn't ready at the beginning, but after I'd had some time to process and things were getting better, she had, she'd asked the question like, "Did she do this to you, or did you do this to you?" And that was the tough question that needed to be asked. Is like, you know what? I fucking did this too. She didn't do anything. And, and in my ex's mind, she didn't do anything wrong because, you know, like we were never together and we, we weren't dating and all these kind of things. I was, I thought she just needed to figure her own shit out and she just needed time and space. No big deal. I'll give that to you. But again, mm-hmm. I didn't want to ask the tough questions because I knew what the answer was going to be where is I needed to be like, hey, we're either together. We're fucking not. Like, what are we doing here in this middle ground? Right. You know, like what the fuck is going on? But I wasn't ready for that because I didn't want to hear the answer. So when she asked that question, it was like, Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. This, this is an amazing thing. You know, but realistically, like those are the two big relationships that I've really had in my life and and all in all that's only a handful of years. You know, because like I said most of my 20s I was very single and then through my 30s I've been doing the online dating thing and and just getting so frustrated with that whole process and just not understanding it because it's like what the fuck? Like, I'm a decent guy. Like, I know that I'm not the best looking and I don't have a, any hair anymore. And I'm <laughs> At a little, least on your head. And I'm yeah. a little bit overweight. Like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. you know, but it's just, it's been so frustrating. So I, I've just kind of completely gotten away from that. I'm, I'm to the point now where it's like, if somebody comes into my life or if I've got friends who have friends and we get together and we things click, cool. But I'm just, I'm kind of burnt out with, with all the bullshit of dating and all that kind of stuff in today's day and age. So I don't really know where I'm going. But at this point, it's like, if I'm the single guy, I'm cool with that. Like, well, whatever. I'll, I'll start by saying I don't envy anyone who is single these days. Oh, God, it's horrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unless you're Devin. If you're, if you're a handsome fucking bastard, then it's it's easy. Yeah, but at the same time, well, he's not single anymore. Uh, I understand that. But and so it, but it's even, even if you're Devin, even if you're an Adonis and you want something outside of that superficial relationship. Yes, that's the problem with the online dating is that they're just looking at the pictures. No one reads the bio. Nope. They're just looking at who's prettier than them. And everyone everyone's trying to date up. Yeah. Whereas it was it was Jim Jeffries talks about in one of his uh, uh comedic specials he's like there's a bell curve people like there's a reason why we're all average and most 95% of people are 4, 5 and 6. Yeah. You know, and like I'm a solid 5. Like yeah. I understand this, but I'm yeah. okay with that. Yeah. You know, it's like I'm not an 8. I'm never going to be an 8. Like I I'm I'm okay with that. Like yeah. I'm okay with who I am, but why can't I date fives and sixes? Yeah. Like why am I only matching with twos and threes? What the fuck is going on here? Well, but I, again, I, because it's all superficial and everyone's trying to date out of their league. I I will say I outkicked my coverage for sure. <laughs> But so. you did that the old-fashioned way with personality, and you just got her drunk, and she didn't realize how often uh, you were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Uh, so there's been some sober moments in there. Uh, no. <laughs> you know, at least a few in the 10 years. Um, but, you know, I'm I'm on the opposite end of that spectrum, where we have been in a relationship since our early 20s. Yeah. And, and I, I really do think that's the best time to meet 
somebody in your life. But there's also the struggle with that is, is that you don't know who you are yet. And you got to yeah. grow through that together. Neither which of most, you. Are... Which most people grow apart. Yeah. Neither of you are going to be the same person. No. No, it's never going to happen. And that's been a great thing about our relationship is we have acknowledged that both of us are going to evolve. And you need to either be supportive of that evolution or not. And we've both been very supportive of that evolution. From my time in the Marine Corps, like, let, let's face it, there's a good chance she gave up the opportunity to go try out for the U.S. women's team to come to Okinawa, Japan with me. And it's like, that's a big leap of faith. Yes, it's huge. And so um, coming back off of that, you know, she got into CrossFit while we were down in Albany, Georgia, and a little bit of context there. You know, she's been in the CrossFit scene. She has goals to compete at Masters when she's 35, um, and she's a high-level athlete. And so I have to be respective or respectful of her goals and how she's evolving as a person, and I need to support that. Um, I used to be you know, big into the CrossFit scene, you know, go to lo local competitions and all that good stuff. And I've taken a step back from that. So that way she's got limelight in the gym to do her thing. And not to mention you're focusing on jujitsu because you want to compete yeah. in that and you can't do both. Well, and it's, it's been really nice to have two separate things where we can have a conversation about what's going on in the jujitsu world. Well, there's also some shared space because you, you understand both sides of it as yes, well. Yes, yes. Um, but she's evolved greatly as a person, and so have I. And we are very respectful of that evolution, who that person's becoming, and supporting who they are becoming. And which, which is really good for your relationship, but dare I say it's more important for your children. Yes. Because your children are seeing both of their parents strive for something that's greater than themselves. Yes. Which is awesome because too many people today, they when they have kids, they stop doing everything. Specifically the moms, not so much the dads. The dads always like to party and have fun with their friends and do their kind of things. But for the most part, a lot of women nowadays, they just they give up everything completely and they only focus on their kids and they become helicopter parents and they and they just they suffocate their kids. Yeah. I really believe that kids need to see their parents striving for something so that when they grow up, they realize, okay, I need to be striving for something and focus on things and not just give everything up and only raise my kids. Well, granted, it's it's a noble thing to raise your kids, but they need to see you looking at other things as well. Well, and, and that's a big point, especially with daughters. So, you know, we can go down a rabbit hole about you know, where society is and the relationship to women and what equity is. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Not today. Not today. <laughs> um, but what I will say is, you know, as a dad of daughters, I my job is to equip them to be strong enough to face the world. My wife sees it the same way, where we need to equip them to be able to go out in the world and handle their own because we are not always going to be there. So, you know, Ashley's always taking them to the gym. You know, I roughhouse with my daughters because they need that physical interaction. And we, and we try to nurture that. And at the same time, like you said, we show them that we're chasing after our goals. And sometimes that comes with trade-offs. You know, Ashley may be at the gym until late in the evening and not get to put the daughter, not get to put our daughters to bed. I may be at True Art, you know, training and then get out of there at eight o'clock and I get home and my daughters are already in bed. And it's like, okay, I'm missing out on some of that time. 
But at the same time, I'm sitting down on Saturday morning and having a conversation and say, Daddy, do you really need to go to jujitsu? Can you skip? You know, can we sit here and play Smash Bros or something? Um, and I'm like, no, there, there's a, there's a goal. I'm trying to achieve X. Yes. And I have to put in the work up front to get to X. Yeah. And you're going to need to do the same thing. Like we're having very serious conversations with my seven-year-old who is in gymnastics. She's been in gymnastics since she was 18 months old. And she's getting to a point where she's not wanting to go to practice. And, um, you know, for better or for worse, I've kind of set a standard for her, which is Simone Biles. You know, we're watching Simone Biles highlight videos on YouTube. And it's like, Daddy, I want to be that. I'm like, well, if you want to be that, this is the kind of work it's going to take to get there. If you're willing to do that work, great. If you're not, let's figure something else out. Um, And we're having a very serious conversation right now where she's not wanting to go to practice. She doesn't want to do this kind of thing and said, okay, we're going to take a session off. We're going to pull back. And then you're going to tell us whether or not this is something you really want. Now, it's hard because she's seven. Yeah. It's not like she's fully cognitively developed enough to be like, yes, this is what I actually want. (laughs) Uh, And so you have to be a guide there to say, okay, well, maybe this isn't healthy. Maybe we need to pull back a little bit uh, and let's assess where we're at. But, you know, I think Jordan Peterson put it really well, where as a parent, you need to be a more forgiving representation of what the world is. So that's my job as a parent. My wife is doing the same thing. There are consequences to your actions. We try to set those up, and then we try to emulate those also in our own lives. Okay. That was a lot. Well, of course. <laughs> but do you think that raising daughters is more difficult than raising sons? Because you, you had kind of mentioned earlier that you think – there's certain things specifically with the girls that are more difficult. Is, uh, is, is there a thought difficult. behind that? or They're different. Okay. So my experience is not in raising sons. Um, my experience is as being raised as a son. Um, I don't necessarily know if it has as much to do with the gender as it does just being a present parent. Okay. So um, I... I you know, my own personal beliefs is that there is a lot of there is a lot lacking when it comes to male development in adolescence and coming up to be a to being a young man. Um, you know, my dad did a lot of that. Marine Corps did a lot more of that uh, to develop me into who I am as a man today. My wife has also contributed to that. Um, and so I think it's different. I don't think it's necessarily more difficult. OK, that's fair. Because obviously neither one of us have any experience with raising sons because we both have daughters. So right, well, and the, <laughs> I can't speak to the other aspect of it. The, the pressures are different, and you know, you talk about the you know the quintessential soccer mom who's the helicopter parent and has given up everything to be a mom. There's a different nurturing programming there that needs to be addressed than you know what young men are facing in society today, which is hey, you just got to suck it up and you just got to do your thing. Um, And we talk a little bit about 
being as a man being able to feel your feelings there needs to be that nurturing aspect of it and so you know i'm not going to go out and say you know this is the you know what a good parenting relationship should be but there should be that yin and yang you know there is order and chaos there is masculine and feminine energy and to raise young kids who are going to be functioning adults there needs to be both that that feminine and masculine energy i believe the same thing as well i think society today would push back on that and i don't understand why they push back on that but they do because it's like like my growing up like my mom had certain things to add to, to child ring that my dad couldn't and right. then obviously my dad had certain things to add that my mom couldn't and the balance of both of them when they were together as a team and that's the most important part yeah is not fighting each other but doing like what you and your wife are doing is is parenting together and being on the same team yep. and wanting to raise your children in a certain way, which is great because she's going to bring certain things to the table and then you're going to bring certain things to the table. And obviously you guys collaborating together are hopefully going to take the best of those and work them somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And, and that's the idea. And I really think that kids need that today. But unfortunately in today's society, in most, most homes are broken homes, you yeah. know, like their homes, like, like, like the, my daughter's grown through, like where I've not really been around so much, Yeah, you know, cause like for, for the first couple of years she was here locally and then my, my ex-wife, she got married and they, and he took a job, her, her husband took a job down in Dayton, Ohio. So she was all of a sudden three hours away, which was still close enough that I could see her on a pretty regular basis. It was no big deal. And then as they got older, they ended up moving down into Texas. And now she lives down there and has for the last four or five years. And I didn't really see her much through high school. I would see her maybe once in the summertime and then like around Christmas time. And that was really about it. And yeah, we we talked on the phone and we texted, but both of us have our own lives and she's busy and I'm busy and we're doing those things. And we don't communicate as much as we should. It's much better now that she's off in college and she's got a little bit more freedom. Like we have a lot more uh, things to talk about now, which is, which has been great for our relationship, but still it's been difficult because she doesn't know what it's like to have both of her parents yep. in a, in a house together. I mean, she grew up with a, a stepdad or like another, another gentleman in the house or whatever. So it helped with that balance, but still at that point, like who knows what kids think, right? you know, and like, and nowadays, like you, you come in and, and if, and if you're like dating somebody with kids and you try to parent their kids and they start yelling at you like, whoa, hey, I'm just going to back up here. And you you just, you know, you deal with your kids and I'll just hang around here, I guess, and not not do anything. Like that can't be good for the kids. I don't know. Well, that, that but, that's the interesting point uh, is there's all these parental, parental books out there that help you, you know, help you understand how to be a parent. But the fact is none of us know what the hell we're doing. <laughs> we really don't. And it, you know, I joke with my wife all the time. I was like, I'm going to pay for Olivia's therapy because I'm a first time parent and I've definitely fucked it up. <laughs> like it just happens. Um, first time you do anything, you're going to fuck it up. So, uh, but understanding that developmental need what where they're at and and making sure that you're on the same page like you know you talk about having a step parent in the home now you've got three people that have to be on the same page with the development and and that's much more challenging than two people um ashley and i not to mention three people who probably aren't communicating all that often or well yeah 
yeah, depending on the dynamic of the relationship, that communication level may not be there. Um, you know, I'll be the first to admit that, you know, my wife is a type A 100% competitor. So she does bring a lot of the masculine energy to the, to the family. Um, whereas I enjoy more of the teaching role. And so I sit back and I teach and nurture. She's more of the disciplinarian in the house. And that's the dynamic that we've found that works for us. So, or at least we think will work. We'll find out in a couple of years when. Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, like you joke about sending your daughter to therapy, and I understand that because I, I keep talking to to my daughter about that as well, and I say, like, all right, well, like there's stuff available at your college, like you need to take advantage of that. Go and start to see a therapist and try to work through some of these issues because, yeah. honestly, I thought by this time she would hate me. Yeah. For never being around. She's old enough to understand all those kind of things. But it's interesting because we've always had a pretty good relationship. But again, it's, it's been really strengthened here that she's gone to college and been away and been on her own and realized, oh, shit, this is hard. Like, I need some help and I need people to lean on. And, and I'm much easier to talk to than her mom is. Her mom's very, very strict. And she always had to have perfect grades and all these kind of things. And it's been a lot of stress for her. And she, and she just... And those, I don't know if they're just, they're so much alike or if they've just gotten to a point now where they just butt heads, like her and her mom, they just butt heads. And I really hope that they work things out and they have a good relationship because my ex does not have a good relationship with her mom. I hardly speak at all, if at all. And I don't want that to be the case for my daughter and her mom. I really don't want that. So I'm really hoping they can figure some shit out. But right now I'm the easier person to talk to. So we've We've really strengthened our relationship over the last few months, which has been great, yep. even though it's been long distance and we're texting and talking on the phone and doing those things. And I, I can't be there in person like I'd like to be, but it's like I've got my own things going on here and I can't exactly just like pack up everything to move down there. I, I've, I've got to be here and take care of the things that I need to take care of as well. And she understands that. Yeah. And she knows that, that here is home and where she's at is is where she's at at the moment, but it's not going to be home for her until she probably – has her own family and settles down and realizes, okay, this is my new home. I've got, you know, where I came from, of course, yep. but you know, like for, for right now, like this is home, which, which I, I think is good, Yeah. but it's, it's, I just, I really thought that she would hate me by now, but luckily it hasn't worked out that way. But I keep telling her, it's like, you've still been through some shit. Like this isn't normal. Like you should still go to therapy and work through some of this stuff because it's going to have an effect in some way or another. Well, we, we all carry some form of baggage. You, you spend 18 years of your life in your parents' home, whether that's a two-parent home, one-parent home, regardless. Not to mention, it's all you know. Yes. It's your whole world. And so you're tw if you're you know 25, you spent four-fifths of your life in that environment. And that's going to shape part of who you are, for the better or for the worse. And there's going to be things you need to work through. You know, Ashley and I came, both came from two-parent households. There's still things that her and I as individuals need to work through based on the experiences we grew up in. So it's never going to be perfect. Of course. But what part of humanity is. <laughs> that's the great part of humanity. It's messy. It's sloppy. It's yeah. crazy. And that's what makes it beautiful. Yes. Because if it was just a bunch of robots yeah. living through this perfect thing that some people think that they want society to be. It's like, well, we can't have that. Like we're humans. Yes. Like you, you can't, the, the, those perfect examples don't exist. Like yeah. it's, it, it's not how this goes. <laughs> well, and that, that's a great thing about the relationship between you and your daughter. She's evolving into a young adult 
And so as she's evolving that relationship, like that's, you know, if I'm honest, the thing that I really look forward to is the relationship I have with my daughters when they're adults. And I'm really looking forward to that aspect. Dare I say, I think us guys look forward to that because, I mean, I I wasn't super involved when she was little. I wasn't really yeah. around all that much. But now that she's gotten older and we can sit down and we can have these deep conversations and talk about life things and, and talk about how to learn and how to think and do the, the big things that I get excited about. It's like, that's how we've kind of, you know, clicked and had I, I kind of our relationship, I guess, because I always tell people, it's like, my daughter got fun when she was about seven. Yeah. Like before that, she was so young that when she would come over for the weekend or evenings or whatever, she would cry and miss her mom and her little sister. You know, she, she just, she didn't know any better. That was her little world. And she, she didn't understand what was going on. She was too young to understand that. But then as she got a little bit older and we could have those conversations, she kind of saw it as, okay, it's a little bit of a break. Like, I don't have my little sister coming to bugging me. Like, I'm away from mom a little bit. We're going to hang out. Like, like we tend to like watch a lot of movies and hang out and talk. That's kind of what I like to do. I don't really think that she cares about it, but <laughs> it's, it's kind of what we've always done. Like, yep. it's, it's kind of been our thing and it's, it's, it's been interesting. But once she got to about that age, like we started to be able to, she started to be able to understand more of like what was really going on. And we started to have, like I said, those actual conversations, which has led into the, the kind of relationship that we have now, which is, which is pretty cool. That's awesome. But before that, it was like, it was, it was really difficult because she'd be over at the house and she'd be crying and wouldn't want to go to bed and she'd miss her mom. And, and it was, it was tough. And it's like, what do you do? It's like, I'm just sitting there like tore up and like, I'm just like, shit what do i do there's nothing i can do i can't make her i can't make it better yeah like i can't make her understand yeah like no we're just hanging out for a few days it's cool we get to hang out together and then it wasn't until she was a little bit older that she started to understand those kind of things and it was like okay this is a lot more fun now i like this like yeah. there's not crying all the time this, this is good <laughs> I, I i think it was it, i may be misquoting this but i think it was hemingway that said like no father should interact with their kids until they're five years old (laughs) then they start developing a personality and it's like okay that's when the fatherhood role kicks in yes the role absolutely but i really do believe that you need to be around yes and to be able to make those kind of um impacts in your kid's life i think that was one of the biggest reasons why i was so single through my 20s -hmm. i was so afraid of having another broken home because of my failures as a person, you know, because a lot of people would blame my ex-wife for us getting divorced and troubles and this and that. And, oh, cause all my families, they're all taking my side, you know, yeah. they're like, Oh, it's her fault. I'm like, no, it was our fault. Like yeah. it takes two people to have a relationship. Like, obviously I wasn't giving her the things that she needed in a relationship. And not to mention, I didn't know what the fuck was going on in my world. Cause I was still a young, dumb kid. Like I didn't know any better. Like yeah. we were just, Again, we were horrible for each other in the first place. We should have never got married, but it would have ended the same way no matter what is what I'm trying to say here. We, would, we, would, we wouldn't be together today. Let me just say that. But yeah. it was one of those things. It's like we tried to do the right thing. It, it didn't work out. It wasn't the right thing to do. Like, but we didn't know any better because we were kids. You know. But it's just I, I think I spent most of my 20s single because I was afraid of doing that again. And I, and I didn't want to have that. And whereas some people now would still ask me, hey, do you want to have kids? I'm like, there's a big part of me that does, mm-hmm. that wants to do it right and be there and to see all those things and to to, to, to be there for the, the things that I had missed and, and all those kind of things. But then there's the other part of me that's like, you know what? Like, my, my daughter's a young adult. She's, she's off on her own. She's in college living in her own apartment and paying for everything by herself and doing all that kind of stuff. And, it, and that's pretty cool because 
like, like, like you had said, you wanted to go out of the country mm-hmm. you know, when you were younger. I've never been out of the country because for me, it's been time to hustle. Yeah. And all my, all my vacation time has been spent for the last, what, 18, 19 years for my daughter when, when she was coming home and I could spend time with her. Yeah. So it's like all my vacations have been just here hanging around the house and seeing family and spending time with her and not traveling and seeing things. Cause again, it's, it's not been time for that. But now it's like, well, hell, like I'm only going to probably realistically see her once a year when she comes home. Unless I fly down there to go see her, which I've got family down there, so I, I can do that. But it's still, it's like, I've got time now where I could go travel. I could see things. I could go out of the country and, and do the kind of things that I've not been able to do. Because since I was 18 years old, it's 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 been time to hustle and, and focus on her, which is no problem. I do it again in a heartbeat. Yeah. She deserves that. She She's earned that. Like, that I, I need to provide that for her. But now it's like, well, shit, I'm... I'm only 38 years old and my daughter's off in college and I can start to go have some fun and do the things that I haven't been able to do. And I'm still young enough to go enjoy them. Whereas you see some people, they don't like, I'm, I've got a lot of friends who are like our age who are just now having kids and like, and they're, they're, they're very young kids. And it's like, shit, like I wouldn't want to do that anymore. Like what? there's a part of me like, like, holy hell. But then there's the other part of me. It's like, you know what? Let me find like a 10 year old yeah. who's like, who's a really fucked up situation. Like I can meet this great gal. We can adopt him and, and decide to like make it work together no matter what, like at least through the kids through college or something like we're going to be here because the kids need to have that masculine feminine like space in, in the, in the household. I really do believe that. But if, if it does, if we grow apart separate than that, then that's cool. Whatever. No big deal. I'm not the person who's like going to run out like, well, we're going to be together until we're 90 now. It's like, no, it's like we should be together until it, it, doesn't, it doesn't any longer benefit each other and things aren't good. And we should yeah. split and be super happy and still love each other and be, be great friends after that. Who cares? Like you're still a great part of my life. Not to mention when you have kids like that, it's you're involved. But there's there's a part of me that wouldn't mind having like. A ten-year-old instead of having a newborn again. Well, <laughs> you know what I mean. I, <laughs> well, you don't know because they're not ten yet. Yeah, but. <laughs> yeah. But you, you <laughs> I, I think you hit on a uh, fundamental experience as a parent in the fact that that time is about them. Like, you know, Ashley and I would love to take a trip to Hawaii or you know take a trip back overseas or do something like that. But you know, instead we're planning a Disney trip because it's the experiences that my daughters need to have, not that Ashley and I need to have right now. Yes. Um, and so, you know, and not to mention those things can come later once they're a little bit older. Right. And there's, there's something that I've realized, I I would say in the last three years or less is that my daughters had no choice about coming into the world. And so they owe me nothing. I owe them absolutely everything because it was my decision and my wife's decision to bring them into the world. So, you know, the next 18 years are about them. Yes and no, right? Because there, there's got to be that balance. There does. Where, there where does. you have to, you guys have to focus on you and your relationship and the things that you're chasing while still providing them a great springboard into into their yeah, lives. Ab- because absolutely. I need to be a fully functioning human being. I remember hearing on a podcast years ago that um, so, someone said to, like, who, who was a little bit older when they, when they had their first child and it was like talking to their wife and said, hey, we're not raising children. We're raising adults that are going through childhood. Yes. So we need to focus on the end result here. 
We need to realize that they're going to be adults. We need to raise them to be adults and think for themselves and do all those kind of things. We can't just have a forever five-year-old. If you want that, go get a puppy. Yeah. Because you'll have a forever five-year-old in the house. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They need to understand things like consequence and personal yeah. choice and, and all that. So, yeah, it's it's a ride. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you what. I think this is a great place to wrap this one up. This was a shit ton of fun. I feel like we could talk for like a oh, couple yeah. other yeah, hours. Yeah. I mean, this this is so much fun. We'll definitely have you back on the show. This was lots of good stuff. So I greatly appreciate you coming on the show. Um, as we wrap this up, do you have any kind of uh, closing thoughts or maybe some things that have been stuck in your head recently? Some ideas, some thoughts you were thinking about? I would say where I'm at in my life right now um, and where Ashley and I are at in our relationship with child rearing and, you know, all the things that we've got going on, it's, it's been a balancing act and it's, you know, as much as you want to go full bore into something, you also have to understand the responsibilities uh, and goals and initiatives of the folks in your circle, whether that be a significant other or that be significant relationships in your life. Um, and it's important to celebrate those things as much as you are chasing your own goals and dreams. Um, that's been a huge factor in the success Ashley and I have had over the last 10 years. So that's the final thoughts I'll leave it with. Awesome. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, I've been, been pretty much stuck in a funk the last few months, and I've been really frustrated with all of the news revolving around the the bullshit covid pandemic and the shutdowns and everything else and i've been so stressed out about all that shit because it's all you see it's all you hear of right now and it's it was so great when when you talked about wanting to come on the show and talking about you know our relationship and kids and all those kind of things i was like you know what like that's the stuff that i love to talk about it's the things that i wanted to get back into because like nowadays i'm like I'm like bouncing off of like my normal yeah. like guests and co-hosts and stuff. And I'm like, hey, is there anything you guys want to talk about? But all that's coming up is all this COVID bullshit. And I'm I'm so fucking over it. So I apologize to the listeners for not making podcasts like I should be making podcasts. I'm kind of slacking right now. But I need to get more into these kind of topics where we can talk about the fun and exciting things that we should all be worried about and not just the bullshit that's going on that people don't want to let go of right now. It's like, can we fucking get over this? It's been two goddamn years. Like, let's fucking be done with all this shit. Oh, my goodness. Well, and that's a, that's a great place to leave it is that it's really hard to get away from that bullshit. And one way that I found to get away from that bullshit is spend time investing in my relationships. And that's friendships. That's yes. My, my intimate relationship with my wife. And I've just said, you know, how can I take five minutes a day and help somebody else out? And that's allowed me to get off of the news cycle and get out of, you know, work restrictions that are in place for COVID and all that other bullshit that's going on. I've been able to focus on a happy place and find fulfillment in my life by focusing on helping and nurturing the relationships I have in my life. Yeah, that's a big thing that happened for me last year when I was going through my depression. It was like, I've decided, it's like, you know what? Like, this is all about the, the people that you share life with. What, like, I mean, I've, I've got obviously my, my blood family, but then I've got my family who are just my family. Yeah. Who I, I just, they're the people I choose to love, not the yeah. people that I have to because they're blood, you yeah. know? And it's like, I don't care what society says. Like, they're still family to me. And it's like, I want to spend as much of my time with them. And I've been having like friends over for, for game nights. We're playing poker or we're like drinking some whiskey. I'm going to see friends like over at their house to hang out or like go out to the bar and drink or do whatever. Like, I don't care. Like, we can go out and 
now play tiddlywinks or horseshoes. I don't give a shit. Like I want to spend time with the people that enrich my life who I love because again, my mortality has been hitting me really hard this past year. And it's like, I'm realistically halfway through my life. And it's like, I want to spend as much of it with the people that I love instead of sitting here alone, depressed by myself. Like, fuck that. Like, yeah. let's, let's get, let's get out there. Let's enjoy life. Let's spend time with the people that we love and, and tell them that we love them. Like, yeah. I'm okay with that. Like, yeah. I'll call friends like, brother, I love you. You know, yeah. and like, people are like, oh, that's okay. I'm like, I don't care. Call me whatever you want to. Yeah. I don't give a shit. Like, yeah. like all, all the guys that I love, I'll tell them I love them. I'll hug them when I see them. I don't care. Like, you can call me whatever names you want to. It doesn't bother me at all. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> all right, Preston. Well, I greatly appreciate you coming on the show. This was a shit ton of fun. This was a blast. And I definitely look forward to doing this again in the future. All right. All right and we will see you guys next time. Well, that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> that was fun. Where are you? All right. Well, that wraps up another great episode. These are the episodes that I absolutely have been missing. And I'm going to do my best to get more of these type of episodes out in the future. Obviously, we're still going to have to cover things that are going on in the news and what's happening. But I want to do much less of that and much more of these. <laughs> so hopefully you guys enjoyed this one because I definitely want to do more like this in the future. All right, if you guys are still listening, thank you so much for all of your support. It really does mean the world to me. I know I've been slacking here recently and haven't been releasing the podcast that I should be. I've just been really struggling trying to come up with good topics because everything in the news has been so negative. But again, we're going to focus differently on that and we're going to give... We're going to get some better episodes out there for you guys. So hopefully there'll be some better ones coming in the near future. But uh, as as you guys know, the biggest thing we can do right now to support the show is tell 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 la, la, la. tell your friends about it. <laughs> wow, I got tongue-tied there. Tell your friends about it. Share it on social media. And please, please, please go out and leave the show a five-star review wherever it is that you are listening to this because that really helps the show get bumped up in the algorithm of the the podcast player rankings that would mean the world and obviously now we have the ability for you not obviously but now we have the ability for you guys to send in your comments or if you have any uh, recommendations for topics you want us to cover or if you have any questions of our regular guests that come on the show please feel free to shoot us some comments and let us know what you're thinking. You can go to uncensoredhumanity.com and fill out the contact us form, or you can send us an email at uncensoredhumanitypodcast at gmail.com. And those will land in my inbox and we will get those answered on upcoming episodes. Well, that is all we have time for this week. So we will see you guys next time on Uncensored Humanity.